reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, and that can be found on, in the Pew Bibles at page 1176. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop coming to this church. <laughs> because every time uh, the Spirit moves in that way, I just find myself undone. And I know some of you are uncomfortable with that. Um, but in that first service, through amazingly traditional act of remembrance, in that first service, this happened. And I said to Alan, don't do that to me again. But it's the Lord who does these things. He just opens our heart up wide. Our prayer was this. I choose to be holy. Help, Lord. <laughs> I choose to be holy. Help, Lord. Feel his presence? Thank you, Grace. See, there's a lot in a name. Grace. Let's take a seat as quietly as we can. Thank you, Andy. Grateful to the, to the band and to Andy, to Sheila who works with him on that. Here's a really sad thing. I had my first break for a week last week. 
was away for one Sunday, and I missed you. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I know Ross just did a great job for the Lord. I know he did. Apart from when he talked about dancing around fires or something. But, <laughs> but uh, I've got to warn you, today's a challenging message. Perhaps the most challenging message in the whole of this series and this magnificent epistle, this wonderful book in the Bible, a book of books. And uh, Paul is writing to Christians in a place called Ephesus. We now know that's in modern Turkey. And as we come to chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, so beautifully read for us. Thank you, Captain. I want to tell you at the outset, when we look at being called to holiness, called to holiness to steal my own thunder, when we're called to be those who are imitating God from that very first verse, verse 1 of chapter 5. Remember verse 1 of chapter 1, the first verse that I ever opened up for you. In chapter 1 in this series, Paul is writing as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. Why read it again? You are already holy if you are a Christian. You're a saint. Chapter 1 verse 1 tells us you are set apart by Jesus Christ. How precious are you if Jesus gave that for you? Out of the mouth of a child, we get an explanation so beautifully about what the wine and the bread represent. About the fact that God chooses to forget our sins. We are... We are set apart as something sacred and holy. But let's be honest, how many of you feel really, really holy this morning? There's not even a hand up. A man's only up to illustrate. But you are. You are set apart as a sacred and a holy thing. And in this beautiful 20 verses of chapter 5, when we look at message 6 of the call, we are called to holiness. And I don't know what you think typifies holiness. Is it bombastic birth? Here he is. He's got a face like thunder. And his arms crossed. And his legs spread apart in an aggressive manner. And he's the guardian of truth. Bombastic birth is the thought police. Ever met one? An evangelical Pharisee. And if you don't tick the way Bert ticks, you are a heretic. Because Bert is the guardian of holiness. And if you don't do and live out all that he thinks you should do and live out, you're not holy. That's bombastic Bert. Oh, he's got the joy of the Lord. It's deep joy. It never creeps onto the corner of his his mouth in case he smiled or something like that. It's a joy that's so deep you would need a pneumatic drill to get at it. Or maybe there's Blessed Betty. Have, Have you seen her? Blessed Betty? She's into sacred dance, you know, the past the beach ball move, that one. And sacred Betty prays for an hour before she decides what dress to pick out of the wardrobe. She walks so closely in the steps of the Holy Spirit that she never ever grieves the Spirit and she's got a supernatural prophetic word for you every other day. You, you know, blessed Betty, have you met her? Right? But somewhere between bombastic Bert and blessed Betty we find beautiful Billy and Beth. And beautiful Billy and Beth don't really say an awful lot, actually. But when they do, somehow it builds you up, just encourages you. They invite students who are a long way from home for lunch with them or tea. 
They're the people who secretly just slip some money to someone when they know that that person's in need. They're the person that takes the person on the street. They won't give them money because they know they might uh, abuse that money, but they take them for a meal because they know they're hungry. They're the people who quietly pray and pray regularly. They're the people who just give you a reassuring sign. They're the people who cry with you when you're grieving and the people who absolutely dance and rejoice with you when you're laughing and celebrating. Tell me which of those people are holy. A call to holiness. As, the, as Paul, the great apostle, writes to the Ephesians, he calls them to holiness and he speaks about the imitation of God. He speaks about purity and godliness. And thirdly, he speaks about how these Ephesians can become holy people, how they can live out the holy calling they have upon their life. So as Paul and the Holy Spirit beyond Paul calls you and I to holiness today, this will be a challenging, challenging message. But I want you to know that holiness is a joy and a delight as well as a challenge. And it's impossible without the power of God. And it's impossible unless you've already taken that first step of trusting Jesus who has made you holy by that sacrifice on the cross. So let's begin with the first thing I think Paul said. We talk about imitating God. And in the first two verses, we find the fullness and the richness of one God in three persons. Whenever people say, oh, this Trinity stuff doesn't make any sense at all. When certain cultic, so-called Christian cults, heretical cults and sects, say that Jesus isn't, surely isn't the Son of God. He's not God the Son in that sense. Take them to this chapter, you will see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shot through the whole chapter. So the first thing that Paul says is, imitate the Father, be imitators of God therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, you know this, ask what it's there for. Well, it's therefore because Paul has just been writing about living as children of light. Don't live in the dark, live as children of light. And in the light of everything God has done, therefore be imitators of God. Follow God as example. The God who created the whole universe, but the God who strips down to a loincloth and washes the feet of his disciples and then says, I've set you an example that you would do likewise. Be imitators of God. Imitate the Father. Listen to this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Your daddy, if you're a Christian today, is your heavenly father. You're children of light because you're children of the Creator, the Almighty, Omnipotent, everywhere present God. Therefore, be imitators of Him. If you were to look at verse 8, you'll see a link here. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We're supposed to live as children of the one who's the source of light, as children of light, imitating the Father. The word there, the Greek word underlying uh, this imitating, is mimitei, mimitei, which means to mimic. We get our word to mimic from there. Mimitei, it's following God's example. And how do you do that? Well, if you want to know how to follow the Father, look to the Son, Jesus. Imitate the Son. Because in verse 2, what we read here is live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus gave everything. Ultimately, the greatest holiness that could possibly be is being completely obedient to the will of God and living in love for God. Well, Jesus lived in such love that God who so loved the world who gave Him, He gave His life for us. 
So we imitate the Son. We live a life of love, sacrificial love, walking just as Jesus did. Wow, listen to this verse. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. Another apostle, the apostle John in his first letter and chapter 2 and verse 6 said this, whoever claims to live in him, in Jesus, in God, must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in God, our heavenly Father, must walk as Jesus walked. And that doesn't mean how Jesus put one fed, uh, foot in, in front of the other. It means that he lived a life of love. Wherever he walked, he took blessing. Apart from the times when he took prophetic challenge, overturning tables, rebuking Pharisees. Wherever he walked, he walked in holiness and in love. He did only what he saw the Father doing. Some of you will have heard of a great, uh, a great Christian of, of centuries ago called Thomas Akempis. And he wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ. And I was in my doctoral viva. Anyone studying for a PhD? Tell me when you've got your viva, I'll pray for you because they are horrible. 20 minutes of some of the nicest things I've ever heard said about anything I'd ever written. 20 minutes of pretty effusive praise. And uh, after about 90 minutes, I'm thinking, there must be a but. Yeah, there was about an hour of buts when they tore the thesis apart. But the worst thing they possibly said was this, you so uphold the example of Jesus. And I thought, I thought that was a strong point. It's a theology doctorate, you know. You so uphold the example of Jesus that you're in danger of wandering into heresy and I thought what I mean they're now starting to accuse me of heresy you know they say the thing is you see if you claim that we can become the most effective transformational servant leader we can become by following Jesus and you forget that it's not about gritted teeth but only possible in his power you're in danger of wandering into a heresy called Pelagianism which is named after a a monk called Pelagius, who said that we could achieve sinless perfection in this life if we grit our teeth enough and model ourselves on Jesus enough. And the answer is, no way can we. Only by the power of Jesus. Only by the presence of the Spirit of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, can we live anywhere near the standards we would love to live at, let alone Jesus would want us to live at. Are you with me? And if we think we can do it in our own strength, we fall into the heresy which was created by this monk, sadly, Pelagius. And that's what they accuse me of. But nevertheless, we're called to imitate the Son, to walk as Jesus walked. Wow. We'll come on to the hows of these things. But it's not only about Father and Son. Imitating God is about being in harmony with the Spirit. And Ross spoke on chapter 4 last week. Let me remind you of verses 29 to 32 of chapter 4. Paul had written to these uh, Ephesian Christians, don't let let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, most human beings would say, oh, we have a conscience. And however seared and hard their conscience is, most human beings, you'll, you will hear sometimes say, oh, it pricked my conscience. It hurt my conscience. Well, as Christians, we know there's something much more powerful. There are times when what we do and what we say and how we talk and how we think grieves the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
And when we feel disquieted, sometimes it's because we're going in a direction, walking away, saying things, thinking things that grieves the Holy Spirit. We need to be in harmony with the Spirit, as Paul says elsewhere, keeping in step with the Spirit, practicing holiness. I met with a young woman of this church this week who's a deep theological thinker. She passionately loves Jesus. She's having all kinds of questions and tussles and wrestles. And hear me say this, which is good. As long as she's loved, supported, and given biblical reasons to shape what what journey she's on spiritually. But she loves Jesus and she wants his church to be the best. Listen to what she said in a lengthy email to me. I would love for church services to have the effect of inspiring people to go and work for the kingdom of God. Now, before you start thinking, does that mean being a missionary or a minister? It might do, but listen to what she says. To work for the kingdom of God in their everyday lives, encouraging people to seek out the holy in everything and in everyone. Amen. Absolutely. I still often get the sense that God lives in the church. Now, mission is simply to get people into church. Hear this, brothers and sisters. No way. Because God's at work out there. In your office, in your school, in your factory, on the dole queue, in the pub, in the rugby club, even at Plymouth Argyle, God is there. Clearly, He's very presently there at the moment. But the fact is this. That there is holiness in everything and everyone. Yes, even those who are not yet Christians. Because everybody is made in the image of God. They're fallen, they're corrupted like the world we live in, like the workplaces and sports clubs and everything else I've mentioned. But we can see Jesus at work if we look close enough because the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? So it's about imitating God. What about purity and godliness. Secondly then, Paul speaks of this purity and godliness. Actually, you could say he speaks about the pursuit of purity. Do you know you can save the lives of children by giving a very small amount of money so that tablets can be provided to be put in water? In villages in Africa, there are even water purifiers that you can sponsor that will mean that people live rather than die and be poisoned by the muddy, awful water they would otherwise drink. Christians can pursue purity in that way. But we're talking about the purity and godliness that the Puritans sought with all their heart. Now, it's too easy to write the Puritans off as, as the pharisaical, evangelical types that I'm talking about now. No, the Puritans wanted purity, but they were people of joy. They cancelled Christmas for a while, duh, because they were right, it was linked with too much paganism and too much debauchery. But they were people of joy, they just got a bad press for doing stuff like that. Listen to what the great Puritan, William Gurnell, said. Ross texted me this this week. It's the kind of thing Ross does. He'll randomly text you something a Puritan said for no apparent reason. It's amazing, really, but there you go. So the, the, and I'm grateful, Ross. The great Puritan, William Gurnell, said, God would not rub so hard if it were not, if it were not to fetch out the dirt that is ingrained in our natures. God loves purity so well He'd rather see a hole in his child's garments than a spot. 
So if there's a dirty spot that won't come out of one of God's little toddler's garments, he'll rub so hard until there's a hole there because he'd rather have a hole in that garment than a dirty mark on it. Because God is holy. And he wants his children to be children of light. So thanks, Ross, because it's a great, a great quotation. And as we look at verses 3 to 14, we see some knots that there should not be a hint of impurity that there should not be a chance of deception, and that there should not be a shadow of darkness or death. I'll come back to each of them. Let's look at verses 3 to 5, because this is going to be a big challenge to some of us here today. I guarantee it. Among you there must not not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse-joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, we need to understand that last bit. Is Paul saying, you'll lose your salvation, you'll end up in hell, you'll not be favored by God, you can't have a relationship with God if you struggle with greed? Or you battle with sexual temptation and sometimes even if it's only in your thoughts you give in to it. Does that mean you can never get there? No, it doesn't. It means if you keep living that way and you act that way, were you ever really in Christ in the first place? Because there should be fruit of light, not fruit of darkness in your life. And in a sense, you know, this, this, this whole thing about the talking and the sexual immorality, he's linking the two because even the world now and certainly the world at that time, not least in Ephesus, where there's temple prostitution and all kinds of debauchery, he's almost saying, if I can put it this way, sex is a sacred joy, not a slutty joke. Sex is a sacred joy, not a slutty joke. Now, be careful this week. Someone's going to say, what did the pastor say on Sunday? Oh, he said that, he said that sex is a sacred joy. Really? Must come and check that church out. The church is too embarrassed to talk about the gift that God gave to men and women called lovemaking. Yes? The world is obsessed by sex and turns it into a slutty joke too often. The underlying word here for sexual immorality is porneia, which of course includes the term porn, and from which we get the term pornography. And our children, our teenagers, and everyone here is one click away from seeing unspeakable things. And I guarantee you there are people here now, today, right now, wrestling with this. Get some love and get some prayer. Get some love and get some prayer. And I guarantee there'll be some people here who are in the sanctity of a sacred marriage, who are wrestling in the area of just expressing in all its fullness and joy that sacred gift of lovemaking that God gave to a man and a woman to bond them together for all of their earthly life. Get some love and get some prayer. Because the world has this impurity, and for us there shouldn't be a hint of it. There shouldn't be a chance of deception either. Verses 6 to 7, very, very deep stuff behind this. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't even be partners with them. He is talking about being wary about getting into partnership with a, an unbeliever. 
romantically. Yes, of course he is. He is talking about partnership with someone in business that's not a believer, because that can create tensions. But under, underlying this is a heresy called Gnosticism, which is based on the Greek word gnosis, about knowledge that says, oh, you must have a higher knowledge. God and Jesus and the scriptures is not enough. You need a, a higher gnosis, a higher knowledge. Maybe from angelic beings. The trouble is, some angelic beings are well dodgy because they're fallen angelic beings called demons. And there was a demonic deception called Gnosticism that is rooted more into Greek thinking than biblical thinking that says that the material world is evil and the spiritual world is great. So the material world, it doesn't even matter. Even your human body, it doesn't matter because you're going to do away with that. You need the higher knowledge in the spiritual world. So actually, do what you want sexually with your body because it doesn't matter. And Paul is going, no way! Our bodies are sacred. Elsewhere, he says, they're temples of the Holy Spirit. How can you have union with a prostitute? How can you have sex with people that you're not married to and committed to? This is porneia. This is impurity. And that Gnosticism is a deception that lies behind it. Don't be partners with them. Are you with me? And then not a shadow of darkness or death. Not a shadow of darkness or death. Listen to verses 8 to 14. Powerful stuff. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's the fruit of the light. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. There's a fruit of the light and there's a fruit of the dark. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by the light and it becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. And this is why it's said, and then almost certainly quotes a New Testament church hymn or chorus. Like the beautiful choruses we've been singing today. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It captures the concept of resurrection and the smile of Jesus, the Son of God, on on his people. It's an early church worship song, almost certainly. But you know, there's a powerful message for us in this. Let's wake up. Let's not act like the dead people of darkness, where there's shadows of darkness and death over us. But let's walk in the light as children of light, because then Jesus face smiles on us powerful stuff i want to move on the third thing that paul is saying to these ephesians and that the holy spirit i believe is saying to us here in the balcony and and downstairs here is this we need to know how we can become holy Now bear in mind that in chapter 1 verse 1 we've said we're called saints if we're Christians, we're set apart, we're already made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for all the things we got wrong. He chose, as Steve in the children's talk reminded us, to put our sins away and choose to forget them. But how can we live out that holiness as children of light? Verses 15 to 20 give us some hints. But before I start this, let me tell you, I was helped by an Anglican uh, commentator who's now with the Lord Jesus, John Stott. John Stott, a brilliant scholar, he's written a commentary, uh, many commentaries, but on this one, he said something that just gripped me. He said, holiness is not a condition into which we drift, 
Backsliding is a condition into which we drift. We slide away from God and we backslide away from God from the light into the darkness. But holiness is not a a condition into which we drift. We make daily choices. So this is why I was so undone by the songs and hymns that were chosen today. And that one, just before I got up to to speak, that, that Andy and Sheila had chosen, Purify My Heart, that when Grace sang it and emphasized that choice there we have to make choices about holiness are you with me every single day we have to make choices we have to make choices about whether we say yes or whether we say no we have to make choices about who we're listening to we have to make choices about how who how we live about our commitments and we have to make a choice to depend upon jesus christ because i can't live a holy life without him i don't even want to try So there's some tremendous encouragements here. Here's the first one from verses 15 to 16. I'll I'll read them first. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You don't think the days are evil? What about putting a bomb on an airplane full of people going back to Russia? Or what about bombing in such an indiscriminate way that innocent people are killed? What about rings of paedophiles? What about grooming of girls in cities in the north and the Midlands? The days are evil. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. By exercising caution and by taking every opportunity, making the most of it, by being wise in evil days, we can live out our holiness. And can I say this? Holiness isn't just about what you don't do. Remember belligerent Bill, or was it Bert? I've forgotten. I'm trying to forget him, actually. He's such a hard man to be around. He makes me feel uncomfortable. He says stuff which tears me down rather than builds me up. But do you remember belligerent Bert? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. And there's another one that goes with belligerent Bert teach. You ought to do this, you ought to do that, and you ought to do the other. And I've met so many Christians who ought to have done this and ought to have done that. Do you know they end up with a terrible condition? It's called hardening of the arteries. And belligerent Bill's got it bad time. He's got a hard heart. But actually, when we exercise caution and take every opportunity, we realize that that doesn't just speak about what we don't do, it speaks about what we should do. Yeah? So let me tell you, and I'm not trying to say Marilyn and I are amazingly holy and pure people. We were partying on Friday, isn't that disgraceful? On my day off, got up at 6.45, we drove up to Andover, and I had the privilege of conducting a wedding service for a young woman called Katie Piper and her new husband, Richard Sutton. I can tell you now, I couldn't tell you before, I'd have had to kill you because it was top secret. Because Katie lives under the fear of a man getting out of prison who brutalized her over a long period of time, and then contracted a friend of his to throw acid in her face, some of which she swallowed. Katie has written books, she's been on television, many of you have heard of the Katie Piper Foundation, and she helps people with facial burns, disfigurement and scars to feel beautiful inside and out, and she's on a mission from God, because the first time she set foot in Andover Baptist Church, the God who turned up in her hospital room when this beautiful woman is going through the most agonizing facial reconstruction, wanted to give up on life, she met that God, and when she came to church, she was just ready to say, oh, is that who it is, Jesus? 
and she gave her life to him. So you want to bet that I went back to do her wedding. Channel 4, cameras there, etc., etc. None of us were allowed to use cameras because she's frightened this guy will come out of prison and pray for Katie. Pray for the guy. And pray for Richard, a wonderful East Ender London builder, new husband. He's a great guy. And this is what I want to tell you about parching after the wedding. Most wonderful reception, beautiful service. Is Marilyn and I made the most of every opportunity. And therefore, from about two o'clock until about half past ten at night, we were speaking pretty much non-stop amidst the laughter and the celebration about guess who? Jesus. For some reason, people found it intriguing that this minister conducting the wedding slipped into the message that until the age of 32, he was an atheist. And at least three people said... I hope you don't mind me asking. You, you were 32 and you were an atheist until 32. What happened? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Lovely people. People with a spiritual hunger. Holiness is not about what you don't do. It's about taking the opportunities God gives you to do the things of the kingdom of God. And it's about understanding God's will. Verse 17. Don't be foolish, but understand God's will. If God's will is for you to be a missionary, great. A minister, great. If it's to be the best motivational speaker you can be. If it's to be the best accountant you can be. If God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, whatever it is, do that. But understand His will for you. And do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because maybe... a the most significant practical verse in this text is verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be being filled in the Greek. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. How many people here know that at some stage, sometime or another, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Lots, but not every hand. Let me give you a little bit of help. If you're sitting th there thinking oh, I don't know, I'm not sure, then without being rude, you haven't. Ask God with humility and deference to say, Lord, I want to surrender more of me to you. I ask you to inhabit me in a tangible way, powerfully, so that it's unmistakable. Transform me. Fill me with your Spirit. There are many, many signs of when God has done that. All kinds of signs, some of them unusual. And sometimes it's more gradual. But I urge us that we're people who are being filled and go on being filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we live out holy lives, not through gritted teeth, but through the power that comes to serve God that way. And then draw to a close with this one. If you look at verse, verses 19 to 20, it speaks about what we've experienced this morning. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, our priority is to speak to our Heavenly Father through Jesus' the Son. That's what worship's about. It's not about us, it's about Him, isn't it? But here's the wonderful thing God blesses us with, that when we speak to our Heavenly Father with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, when we come to the Father through Jesus as the Holy Spirit helps us, when we sing and make music in our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we find we speak to each other as well, don't we? That's why, when I try to stand up and preach at both services today, I'm in tears, because I heard you speaking to the same God that I love. I heard beautiful prayers read by a, a, a minister who's the same age as the guy who wrote it when he was about to die. 
And it touches me and it inspires me and it encourages me and it lifts me to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with you. Don't ever give up meeting together. Do you know there are lots of people out there who used to come to this church and they're not in any church this morning? Do you know that? Go get them. Whatever it takes, pray them back, love them back, serve them back, but go get them. And not so we can fill the church, but so that they can be loved and empowered to live for Jesus out there. We only gather here so that when we're scattered, we make a difference in the world. But boy, does it make a difference. When we have an encounter with the living God, it's wonderful. I need to ask you the same question I'm asking you every week, and I need to turn to another scripture. The question is this, Heavenly Father is calling us to purity and holiness. Will you answer when God calls? Every week I'm asking the same question. Who's up for this? This is the most challenging message you're going to hear. And you can leave it and go home and talk about whether it was a good sermon or an ineffective sermon or whatever. But at the end of the day, that's not why I preach. I preach to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. And I hope that some people are comforted to know that they're children of God. I hope that people are comforted to know that it's in His power, not ours. I hope that people are comforted to have heard a song sung by Grace, first time she's sung publicly in the church, that showed us we have to make a commitment to choose to be holy. But when we choose to be holy, the whole of heaven lines up with us. Listen to this from Hebrews. Andy, would you and the guys come back, please? Hebrews 10 from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The most holy place? You mean that place, the holy of holies in the temple, where only the high priest, after shedding much blood, can only go for part of one day a year, the Day of Atonement, and then he has to have a, a chain tied to his leg in case he dies in your holy presence and, uh, and we have to pull him out by a chain under the curtain. Do you mean that place, separated by that curtain? We, we can have confidence to enter the most holy place. Yes, by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we've got a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Whoa, whoa, whoa hang on, hang on. So we can even go into that holy place when we've got a guilty conscience because we know we've let God down. Yes! And when you come into that holy place, God sprinkles you. Not with the blood of an animal. Not with the blood of His Son because that sacrifice was once and for all. He sprinkles you with His love and His holiness and His cleansing. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Stand with me, please.
You know, we sang a song earlier about a revival coming. When a revival comes, what happens is the pulpit is vacated by the preachers. And the people, including the preachers, come to the pulpit and they start publicly confessing their sin. They just can't handle it anymore. They have to get it off their chest. They have to have their consciences sprinkled. They have to get right with God. Now, some of you are panicking. I'm not going to ask for any of that today. When God brings that, only God can bring that. But what I want to suggest is, as we sing this final song, for some of you, it will be healing and liberating to come in a visual way into that place, which you can do sitting or standing right where you are. But for some of you, it will be helpful to come and, and kneel here. Not, not me, because I'm going to be the first one kneeling down. But some of us need to come and kneel here and say, I've not lived in a holy way recently, Lord. I've done and said things that in a better moment I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have said. But right now I'm going to get clean. And then I'll just give a final blessing, pray a general prayer if anyone's come. But I'll have to get up off my knees to do it because I'll be the first one down there. Thanks, Andy. Don't, don't hang around if you're in the balcony. It's a long way. If you want to come, just come. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence <laughs> without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.